Lori, get your hanky out. Let's wave it. I don't know about you, but that brought me to tears. If I sing, I'll bring myself to tears because of how horrible it is. But that song brought me to tears because right now, right now we should be adoring Him. Amen? The reality that God sent His Son to this world to be our Savior should cause us to give our lives to be His and His alone. Oh, I appreciate the music and the selection of the songs and the verses to remind us about heaven. Boy, praise God about that. We've got a destination. I hope you know where you're going to spend eternity. Jesus Christ says we can know it without a shadow of a doubt. It's not a hope so. It's not a guess so. It's a no-so salvation. The trouble is many in America believe they think they're going to go to heaven, but they don't understand the way. The way is through Jesus Christ. It's not about being good or being Baptist or being anything else. It's about being born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. So clearly that is brought out. It's good to have our choir mostly healthy this morning, too. That's been a long time in coming. We're praying for them in two weeks. Imagine having our Easter presentation. I'm praying that they'll stay healthy for that. And all, we're going to be putting out 15,000 flyers in the paper to invite people to come to Easter. And you ought to be praying, as Pastor Nathan challenged, for you to invite folks. And not only that, but also to... Uh, encourage you to pray for your neighbors or friends or co-workers that you can encourage them to come because the gospel will be clearly presented, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Boy, how important that is going to be. So do pray about that. This coming Saturday, we're going to be going out and inviting people with uh, flyers that we have. And after our men's prayer breakfast at uh, hometown, and then we'll be uh, getting into passing out about 1,000 or 2,000 flyers to our neighbors about us. So do plan on being a part of that. We'll have materials for you next Sunday as well to, to give out to people. So we trust that that will be a blessing. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount. He has said, you've heard it said. About anger, about adultery, about a divorce, about oaths, about going the second mile. I need to ask you this question. How well are you doing? I don't know about you, but the preaching of God's word should bring conviction into our soul such that it should change our lives. The progress of my Christian life needs to be there as God continues to work on my life. We've talked about that in our Sunday schools or in the level of discipleship here at Westside Baptist Church, that we have a level 200 in our church, which is the maturity level. And that is the description of that level in our church And whether a person who has been saved and maybe joined the church and all and just getting on with their Christian life, 
or someone who has been saved for 50 years, there ought to be continued maturity in their lives as a born-again believer. Amen to that? If you stop growing, you start dying. And I don't know about you, but I want to keep growing until God takes me home. And the Word of God is so exciting and it is so powerful and it is so challenging. It needs to change our lives. And it is upon the Word of God that we come to study this morning. And it is not a preacher's idea or his interpretations. It is God's Word. And it is His Spirit that works in our hearts to bring us where we need to be. How well are we doing? May God speak to our hearts this morning. He talked about last week that you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I say unto you, if someone smites you on the cheek there in verse 39... Turn to him the other cheek, and, and if he takes you to law and it takes away your shirt or your undercoat, then give him your outer coat as well. And then verse 41, whosoever compels thee to go a mile, go with him uh, two miles. And, you, and we, we talked about that last week. And uh, someone has says, well, listen, if, 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 if I, I don't, I, you don't know how people treat me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. You say, what does the word forward mean? It comes from the Greek word skeliosis, which we get our word skeliosis. <laughs> Which means curvature of the spine or crooked. Scoliosis. There you go. Thank you, Donna. I've used my Greek and my medical words. Scoliosis. My daughter, one of my daughters has scoliosis. Curvature of the spine. Crooked. The idea here is a harsh slave master. It says you don't be subject just to those that are kind to you. You don't just dish out what has been dished to you. But even though people treat you unkindly and unfairly and unjustly, the Bible says you're supposed to be a Christian 24-7. And that's what he's bringing out here in this uh, idea here. You know, the attitude of that first mile. We talked about this last week. That in the first mile when that Roman soldier would uh, get you to carry his baggage for one mile. That was the law of the land. And you had something else to do. And he comes and he says, uh, uh, Eddie, pick up my bags and carry them. The first thing that would go into Eddie's mind is you look strong enough, you carry them yourself. <laughs> Right? But no, you would be compelled to do so because it was Roman law. And so often in obedience, we oftentimes have to get our hearts and our attitudes right. And then to come to the second mile on that journey. We talked last week about being second mile Christians. Being willing to go the extra mile. And the reason for that that people might see Jesus Christ in our lives. Not just going out and doing what is compelled to us, 
But going out and looking for ways that we can be a blessing to other people. You know, we've got to get over this about just doing all that, just doing what I need to do to get by. God wants us to be employees who will go the second mile. God wants us to be students who will go the second mile. God wants us to be church members who will go the second mile. God wants us to be Christians who will go the second mile. But in our me-centered Christianity and me-centered world today, it doesn't seem like many are willing to go that second mile. May God help us to gain ownership of this, the second mile to be that witness We talked about last time about Moses and how he let the circumstances of people around him irritate him to the place where he struck the rock in the second time when the water was to come forth. Do you remember that? I've been reading a book. Our staff and our young pastors are are going through a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many have ever read that book? It's uh, one of the best sellers. Over 10 million copies have been sold, I believe, and everything. Gary, you've read it. You remember the chapter on being proactive? It's been a long time since you read it. Do you remember what you had for breakfast this morning, Gary? (laughs) Now you do. Being proactive is the opposite of being reactive. Uh, They said proactive people uh, can uh, control their own weather. I don't know about you, but this morning was, you know, you lost an hour sleep last night and uh, you came to church in the middle of a storm. Y'all and and poor Berna, Berna, boy, she, you know, I bet you don't weigh over 100 pounds. You've got to weigh under 100 pounds. And she comes out of Sunday school this morning and the wind just blows up. And instead of her going forward, she's going backwards. So I decided I'd be the shield in front of her. I says, I'll block the wind for you as we go forward, all right? You know, sometimes the weather affects us, doesn't it? Circumstances affect us. And the idea there, people can affect us. And our attitudes can be south. And we don't go that second mile. And we we give in to the circumstances. May God help us to be people of character Rather than reactive. You know, the the example that he uses in that chapter, and Seven Habits of High Effect, I'm sure you've read it, Gary, haven't you? It's not a, it's by far, it's not written by a Christian, and uh, yet the principles in it are very good principles. And in there, when he uses the example of someone in the Bible who was proactive, and someone who had difficulties and struggles and all kinds of family pressures and problems that came to him, that he he marched through it. He didn't get under his circumstances. He got on top of them and he kept making the right decisions no matter how people treated him, no matter what happened to him in his life. Guess who that person was? Oh, I heard it. Many of you said it. Joseph. Joseph. What a prime example of a person who would go the second mile. Praise God for that. No matter how your taskmasters treat you, no matter who lies about you. Do you all get that? It's about being spirit-led 
in our lives. And then it talks about here, give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, but whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother hath need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. God wants us to be looking how we can be a blessing to others. Now, I want to say this. It is important for us to give people a hand up, not a hand out. You all understand what I mean by that? A hand up, not a hand out. We do not enable laziness or poor character. The Bible says if a man's not willing to work, he should not what? Eat. All right, and that's a biblical principle there. But I'm telling you, we don't want to shut up our bowels of mercy when God speaks to our heart about going that second mile, about helping people. We need to be spirit-led. And on Wednesday nights, we are dealing with being spirit-led, walking in the spirit. I want to encourage you to be a part of this because it is so important because you and I are going to answer to God based on how we are obedient to God's spirit in our lives. All right, now we get in to the next part here loving your enemies. Oh my! You say, preacher, I just been starting to work on my attitude. I'm trying to go the extra mile, but now you mean I gotta love the guy? That's gotta be the third mile, doesn't it? To really grow to love somebody. Now, I want to say this. Understand. Is love an emotion or is it an activity? Okay, it could be both, but primarily it is a verb, which means it is active. It is an activity. To love your wife is an activity. Someone says, well, I don't love my wife. Well, maybe in your emotions you don't love your wife, but to love your wife is an activity. And God commands us to love our enemy. Let's read this in verse 43. You've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, preacher, I don't like this. Sometimes I don't either. But guess who wrote it? That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. You see what he just said? The characteristics of your Father should be the characteristics of the children. He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if we love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. 
Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Father, I pray that you help us. Lord, there's, there's so much here. And Lord, there's just so many things that we need to deal with this morning. And I pray that you'll help me to have clarity. And yet, uh, Father, you help things to be said the way you'd want them to be said. In Jesus' name, amen. Going back, you have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. May I say this, that up until this point, there has been a a measure of the law that Jesus has been addressing, remember? And he would bring out the law, but then he would correct the misinterpretation of the law, and then he would give what is the actual heart of the issue. In this statement, he is addressing the abuse of a situation and not the truth of the law. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt hate your enemies. All right? So if you go back in the Old Testament, you will not discover anywhere it says, thou shalt hate your enemies. Now, when we look at this word hate, and we discover it, and we have to understand that there is hate in the Bible. Is that not correct? Uh, The word is used 179 times. The word love is used 443 times. But understand that if you do have love, that you also have hate. Some people have likened that love is a more of a propensity towards something and hatred is more of a propensity away from something. Do you understand that? So there can be degrees of, of hatred here. But understand that if you have a God of, of love and God loves, then there's also a God who hates. Just like if you love something, that is a matter of choice. Therefore, you hate things as well. Uh, the Bible says, if you love me, you what? Hate the world. You see, in, uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, uh, let... Uh, excuse me, and, and uh, yeah, there you go. Oops, I've gone went too far. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates the works of evil. Is that not correct? God hates sin. Do you hate sin? All right. And so, understanding that in this principle here, in these ideas of choice, that there are. The deeds and the activities of hatred. Now, when he's addressing these principles in Matthew, he is dealing with things in a personal relationship. Understand that there was corporate or national things that had to take place, such as wars. And even as you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find annihilation of people. I may have read things in the Bible that trouble you. I just finished reading uh, most of Joshua. And what is happening is we are trying to put God in a box and make him our own imagination. And so today people can't believe that there is a God who would send people to hell. Can I say there is a God 
who will send you to hell if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. He said, well, that doesn't sound fair. Let me say this. We have a just and holy God. Don't try to create a 21st century God that fits into Americans' political correctness. He does not fit. He does not fit into our American thinking. And you have to understand that the Old Testament, when there was the taking over of the land, that God realized that if you leave the corruption in the land, corruption would spread. And the wickedness of the idolatry practice would send people to hell. That's why Paul says, if anybody preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. When you read even the New Testament, you discover a God who hates someone who preaches a false gospel. Because God sent His Son to this world to rescue this world. And He doesn't want people to come into the church and lead people astray. Do we understand that? Well, you say, Pastor, it doesn't fit my mind, my mindset. Well, can I just say this? Uh, Wayne, you've had cancer, yes or no? Yeah. How many have had cancer here? When you got cancer, did you say, listen, this is a living organ, their organism, therefore I just want it to, to, I want to host it, I want to make sure it's taken care of, and I don't want to get rid of it. How many did that? You see, our thinking is that that cancer could spread and kill you. And so oftentimes sin, uh, it will spread and kill. That's why there needs to be this right attitude towards there. And and understand that when you go into the Bible, uh, and in the Old Testament primarily, that there was the national things and there was the corporate things that was was given. Like Jacob's have I loved and Esau have I hated. It's not in, in, in representation of just Jacob or Esau, but what Jacob represented, which was Israel, and Esau represented Edom or the things of the world. See, we have to understand these these concepts. And you know, it's interesting to me. God loved Israel, even knowing what Israel would do. Because God's love to us is in spite of who we are or who other people are. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. So as we get into these these ideas here and all, the Pharisees had taken it further than it should have gone. And they are the ones who are presenting, you are to hate your enemies. And they had almost this elitist mindset, and they called Gentiles dogs. Remember that? And they called the Samaritans dogs. And, and they had this, this uh, well, I'm going to love my neighbor of my neighbors the same as me. And they, that aliens were, and Gentiles and Samaritans were, 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 uh, were their enemies. Let me ask you this question. Did God hate the Gentiles in the Old Testament? No. You know, the Old Testament is filled with Gentiles coming to know Jesus, or not, excuse me, Jesus, knowing that know the true God and even becoming a part of the line of Christ. But you see this God. 
of the Old Testament, the God that's the same yesterday and today and forever. He is a God of love. But to be a God of love, there's also the flip side of that. There's a God that will destroy those who do not accept his love. Understand that. Uh, as we get into the, uh, the Old Testament, and many of us love the Psalms, but understand there's what they call the um, impeccatory Psalms. Impeccatory Psalms. How many have heard that term before? Impeccatory Psalms. All right, I'm giving you a theological word there. It is the, of the prayers of, 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 uh, of judgment upon others. Here is one of those in Psalm 69, 23. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them and let thy wrathful anger take hold on them. Can you imagine praying that today? But yet that is a part of the impeccatory Psalms. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Uh, we see this in the Old Testament there, but it's also an idea uh, of, of those that turn against God and turn others against uh, God. The God of heaven is also the God of hell and his justice. The trouble is we try to make understanding of God in our earthen vessels rather than understanding who God is according to the scriptures. Well, I don't like that. It just doesn't seem fair. Let me ask you this question. Do you think it was fair for God to send his son to this world to die on the cross, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, so that you and I could go to heaven? Does that sound fair? That he took our place? Listen, we have a God who loves us so much that he sent our son, his son, to die on that cross so that we could be saved. That's the God that we know today. But he's also the God who says that if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's an eternal hell waiting for you. And he warns us. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Well, it doesn't fit our American thinking. Our American thinking has become so twisted today. We have to ask ourselves, how well is the thinking that's going on today fitting for America? Are we seeing America becoming a kinder, gentler nation after so much peace and prosperity has been preached in this country? Are we seeing a more angry world? May God help us. We see him thundering woes to the Pharisees there in Matthew chapter 23, where he talks about the blind leading the blind and making people twofold children of hell. And God speaks very vehemently. But yet that same God is the one who would sit down to publicans and sinners and have meals with them so that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Do we understand that love and hate is a part of of what makes love? Choices to be made. And God gives us the opportunity to make those choices. At the end of Matthew 23, where he denounces all these things of the Pharisees, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her, her chicks under her wings, but you would not. The heart of God is that none would perish. But he gives you the choice to accept him as your savior. Have you made that choice? 
He says the rain falls upon the just and the unjust uh, because God uh, wants people to see his his blessings and all we we read here in in Job now coming into the personal responsibility. Even Job understood this. If I rejoice at the destruction of him that hates me or lifts up myself when evil found him, neither have I suffered my mouth to sin. By washing a curse to my soul, if the man of my tabernacle saith, uh, said not, Oh, that we had of this flesh, ye cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the travelers. We see both sides of these things in the Old Testament where Job, a very righteous man, did not want to see destruction. Do you think God wants to see anybody in hell? Do you want to see anybody in hell? Now, God sent Jesus to be our Savior. What are we doing about it? This world needs to see the Lord. He talks about here in Proverbs 17, 5, Whosoever mocketh the poor reproaches his maker, and he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me, Proverbs 24, 29. I will render to that man according to his works. If thine enemy be hunger, hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him what? Water to drink. So we have to understand that God is going to pour out His love and do everything He can. In fact, even in creation, it shows the power of God so that people all over the world, the heathens in Africa, can come to understand that there is an omnipotent God who loves them and created this world for mankind And they would have to reject the internal conscience that God has placed eternity in man's heart according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And they would have to reject the love of God and everything that He has done so that man can be saved all over the world. And if a man goes to hell, it is his choice to make. And I want to encourage you. To come to know this God that he's talked about in the Bible. Yes, a God of love and a God of justice. A holy God. I'm afraid we've lost sight of who God is. And maybe we have been lulled to sleep as a church about the people that are our neighbors and our friends who will spend a Christless eternity without him. So he gives this idea, you've heard it said, but the Pharisees have abused it. And just like people today can't quite comprehend love and hate. People can't comprehend that in themselves. And, and they keep talking about love and they, they, they fail to understand this, this balance that is brought out here in the scriptures. He says, but, but, uh, he says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. All right. By the way, who was an enemy of God? Who was an enemy of God? All of us. Isn't that right? We are. The wrath of God is is upon those who reject. But yet the Bible says we were enemies at one time until we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
So now he says, love your enemies. And love is a verb. He's already talked about turning the other cheek. He's talked about forgiving them. He's talked about going that extra mile. He, this is, this is the principles of Christianity because now Christianity is not a, uh, a national thing. This is a relationship in a family with God. And this is the characteristics of born again believers. Understand that in the Old Testament, again, I'm trying to make that as, distinguish as I can, the national responsibility or a nation's responsibility to take care of its enemy, to protect its borders, is not being done away with these principles that are brought out here. This is personal responsibility. And we are, throughout the Scriptures, are given these personal responsibilities. In Colossians 3.13, it says, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to forgive. What I find is a lot of people have a hard time loving others because they get emotionally wrapped up in the hurt that comes their way. Situations come up in church. Situations come up in family. Situations come up in neighborhoods. Situations come up at our workplace. And instead of forgiving, we respond inappropriately. And when these situations arise, you and I will discover what's in the vessel. You know, it's easy to love someone that loves you. That's kind to you, isn't it? He says, no, you love those that hate you, that despitefully use you. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said he never met a man who was made by a crisis. He said the crisis exposed what is inside that man. The treatment of others should not be based on how they treat us. In uh, Romans chapter 8 or 5 verse 8, it says, But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that God sent his son to die for us in that while we were even still sinners? And folks, when we got saved, God knew what you would do after you got saved and he still saved you. How many are glad for that? Say amen. That's the God whom we have that loves us and serves us and, and cares for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, it's hard to imagine when people talk about, well, I just can't believe that God would allow this to happen or that to happen. Listen, it should be, how can we believe, how could we ever fathom that God loved me so much that He would send His Son to die on the cross? We've got it all twisted around it today. Uh, turn over to Second Timothy. This is a verse that uh, we came in Sunday school this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1. Who hath saved us? Verse 9. Who hath saved us uh, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I am saved 
because God so loved the world. He didn't love me because I smelled good. He didn't love me because I look good. He didn't love me because I sing good. He loved me in that while I was a sinner, he loved me in spite of who I am. You see, God detached himself from our actions and loved us in spite of who we are and sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Now, that same characteristic ought to be the same characteristics of how we treat other people. Does that make sense? We detach ourselves from the hurt to come to the place where we can bring healing to those who have cancer, to those who are lost, to those who are hurting. Instead of focusing on how they've hurt us, we need to focus on the fact that they are hurt inside because they are sinful and they need a Savior. May God help us with that. In Jude twenty-two twenty-three. And of some having compassion, making a difference. God wants us to have compassion. God wants us and others uh, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So, what is the motivation of why I am going to go out there and put up with the indignations or the, the hatreds or the abuses or the, the things that are going on in my own life. It is so that people might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is not about getting a better husband or getting a better neighbor or getting a better friend. It's the reality that people are going to die and spend an eternity in hell if they don't come to know Jesus Christ. And they need to see Jesus Christ in our lives by going that second mile and that third mile. Do we get it this morning? We lose too often our heart for people and we get up, caught up in the complaining and the criticism today of what's going on in this world rather than having compassion in our soul to those who need to see Christ in our lives. Let me read you a couple things here in, in, in closing and, and then we'll, we'll finish up this message and start the next one. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, God, uh, uh, this is, this is a, a modern day psychology that they, they, people will say, God regards and treats them not so much as they actually are, but in terms of what they are capable of becoming. This is modern psychology. Now, I want you to pay attention, if you can, pay real close. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a medical doctor, and he writes a little bit more uh, profoundly than sometimes we are used to today. Uh, it governs the way in which some school children are handled. They must not punish them or exercise discipline. They must not treat children as they are, but rather as they ought to be and as they are capable of becoming. This is modern-day psychologists. You say, well, this sounds good. Well, pay attention. All right. In order that they may become what they could be, some would like to see the same principle put into operation more widely with regard to the treatment of prisoners in prison. Uh, we must not punish. We must just be nice. We must be. We must see men in that men what he can become, and we must draw it out of him. But what of the results? No. 
It is not because our actions will somehow change these people psychologically and turn them into what we want them to be. That we are to do these, uh, why we're supposed to do these things. We must do them for one reason only. Not that we can ever redeem or make anything of them, but that in this way we can display to them the love of God. It is not looking for the spark of divinity in the heart which would save uh, that heart and fan the flame. No man, men are born in sin Shape and iniquity, they are not capable in and of themselves of becoming anything that is right. But God has so ordained that His wonderful gospel of redemption has sometimes been conveyed to men and women in the following manner. They look at a person and ask, What has made that person different? And the person says, Us, going this second mile, the third mile. I am what I am by the grace of God. It is not because I am born different or of affluence. It is because God has done something to me. And what the love of God has done for me, it can do for you. We've got to understand that man is sinful. He has a sinful nature. And the only way he will be rescued is by being born again. That has to be our high motivation in our lives. Linsky said, Love indeed. See all the hatefulness and wickedness of thine enemy. Feel his stabs and his blows. May even have something to to do towards warding them off. But all this simply fills the heart, loving heart, with the one desire and aim to free its enemy from his hate. To rescue him from his sin and thus seeing his soul be saved. Do we lose sight of that? Do we only see the indignation and the hatred that's been given to us? Or do we see the consequence if that person continues in his direction? Uh, uh, John MacArthur said and gave this illustration of a, a, a king, Philip II, in 1567 of Spain. Um, He anointed the Duke of Alba as governor of the lower parts of the nation. The Duke was a bitter enemy of the newly emerging Protestant Reformation. His rule was called the Reign of Terror, and his council was called the Bloody Council, because it had ordered the slaughter of so many Protestants. It is reported that one man who was sentenced to die for his biblical faith managed to escape during the dead of winter. As he was being pursued by a lone soldier, the man came to a lake whose ice was thin and cracking. Somehow he managed to get safely across the ice. But as soon as he reached the other side, he heard his pursuer screaming. The soldier had fallen through the ice and was now about to drown. At the risk of being captured, tortured, and eventually killed, or of being drowned himself, the man went back across the lake and rescued his enemy because the love of Christ constrained him to do it. He knew he had no other choice if he was to fulfill, uh, faithful, to be faithful to his Lord. I dare say many of us would probably have not have done that. Love your enemy. 
You all get it this morning? Father, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, I, I can't even imagine as this is being written by our Lord Jesus Christ who knew that the enemies would be his own people. There the Jews would put him on the cross. And there we hear him saying on the cross, Father, forgive them. Lord, we have never suffered as much as what our Lord has suffered. And yet here our Lord is teaching us to love our enemies. He came to this world to love those who hated God. In fact, that Lord, each one of us in this room were one time the enemies of you. But because you loved us so and we understood that we were sinful people, we came to know you. Lord, help us to understand your love to us. And may we translate that love to our neighbors and to our friends, but also to our enemies that need to see Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us, Father, to be gospel witnesses. Help us to reflect who you are in this world. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Number one, do you know the God of the Bible. You say, preacher, I heard some things today. I'm not sure I even know the God of the Bible. Do you know the tragedy is? Most Christians today do not know the God of the Bible. May God help us to understand this balance of love and hate. Help us to understand heaven and hell. But God is not willing that any should perish. And if God speak into your heart this morning, that's his Holy Spirit working in your heart to help you to come to a place where you might come to know Jesus as your Savior. Why not invite him in today? Put your trust in him. Number two. Understand we are commanded. This is not a suggestion. This is a command to love my enemy. Some of us have trouble even loving our friends. Loving a co-worker, a neighbor, a mate, a child, a family member. Can you imagine loving your enemy? God help us with this. I don't know if God spoke to your heart, but I oftentimes can find myself becoming a reactionary rather than being proactive and trying to encourage people and understand their need of a Savior. I need to look at people that need the Lord and give my testimony and let my light so shine before men. If God spoke to your heart, maybe there's some people that come to your mind right now that someone pulled out in front of you driving <laughs> or somehow you've reacted in the wrong ways. May God help us with this. It's a maturing act, isn't it? I'm so glad that God is allowing us to be a work in progress. Once you've been saved, He'll continue to work on you. But ask yourself, do you have a problem with this? If you do, why not commit it to the Lord right now? We'll never get on our journey if we let people deter us or circumstances derail us. So, Lord, you take our decisions and we'll praise you for it now. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.